Thank you for listening to the show. I hope it inspires you and expands your view of what's possible in your journey of wealth creation. My hope is that through a repeated exposure to the ideas and the guests you will find here, your view of finance will change for the better. With that said, there's an important caveat that must be stated. The opinions you will hear on this show are just that, opinions. Please don't misconstrue any of what you're about to hear as legitimate financial advice. Do your own research and don't take anything at face value. Understand that everything you hear on this show is someone else's experience that may or may not work for you. I don't know you, I don't know your situation, so I can't tell you what to do. But I can tell you that the one goal of this podcast is to make you richer, wealthier, and ultimately more fulfilled as a human. I'm glad you're here. Please rate it, review it, share it with the people in your world that matter. And without further ado, enjoy the show. Everyone, what's up? I have my friend Avery Harper here, and I've got to tell you guys, I don't know how to describe this, Avery. You may know how to describe it, but how, how many of you know there's sometimes there's just an energy with people where you meet them for the first time, and you're like, oh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be tight with this person for a while. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, definitely. But we had the first time we ever met, we went to the steakhouse in uh, Nashville, and I walk in and. You can't see the screen. I'll just tell you, Avery was a football player. He's Jack, big man. And he's introducing himself. And I was like, wow, the power coming off of this human being right now. It's like an energy to it. You know, he's confident. Some people just suck you in. From that moment on, I was like, man, we're going to do business together. We're going to partner up together. And uh, it's been an honor, man, like getting to work with you and getting to know you. I feel like we have a long road to go too in getting to know each other better because I know you're onto the Liga number nines yes, right now. Yes. Uh, but you gotta you've gotta develop your palate and get some more expensive cigars <laughs> going. And I'm I'm gonna personally help you with that. Uh, <laughs> I just gotta poke where I can. Avery, he works for Bank of America right now. He's at Finance of America, and uh, he's uh, a leader involved in the banking single family residential you do portfolio loans man you do a little bit of everything you partner with us on a lot and what i'm excited to talk to you today is just like what you're seeing in the world what you're seeing in the market you're also uh, a black man in leadership and you know we'll talk to you a little bit about like just what is going on in the world today diversity is one of the things you're passionate about you're involved in nonprofits, and we could go for five hours but i'm going to do the audience a favor and i'm just going to limit us at three How's that? Uh, it sounds good to me. <laughs> Anything that I didn't didn't connect with in your uh, bio, besides the fact that, you know, unfortunately you represent eh, not the winningest team in college football, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. You definitely got to give a shout out to those Bulldogs. You know, it's been a long time coming for us since 1980. The dogs finally held the trophy up and I was there to witness it. So shout out Man, to the Bulldogs. I wasn't even born in wasn't even born in 1980, bro. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Neither was I. That's, that's the problem. That is a huge problem. Oh, man. What's the biggest thing on your radar right now? What, do you, what are you seeing in the real estate world? I know it's crazy out there with uh, supply chain and whatnot. Are you feeling any of that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a different world out there now. You know, just being in the investment world for, you know, eight years now, really specifically for real estate investors. Looking at the market on a day-to-day basis, it's like it's kind of like the wild, wild west, man. I mean, it's a lot of innovation, which I think is good because I think a lot of the our future is going to be in fintech. I think you see the technology really making an imprint in our space from the real estate standpoint, 
all the creativity that's coming out that's allowing investors who have never been in real estate to really get involved. And maybe not so much with the large learning curve that you've had to have in the past. Technology has opened up those doors. So I feel like that's going to be our, our leader going forward. So with that, it's, it's been very exciting to watch all the innovation. You've done work with Merrill Lynch, Global Wealth Investment Management. You've been in this world for quite a long time. Now you're you're at a Blackstone company and doing real estate. Have you seen this climate before or is this kind of unprecedented in terms of like the supply and demand is off the charts, costs are going up, we can't build houses fast enough? What is it? Four or five million houses short over the next couple of years. I don't know if we've ever been here before, but have you seen it? Well, I've seen the craze before, right before we had our crash back in 2007. I was really, 2007, 2008, I was really just now getting my feet wet in the banking in general when we kind of had our crash. But that crash was spun up upon something different. It was because our lenders weren't being responsible in regards to the way we were lending to our investors and to people out in the uh, in the space. So now it's totally different because we're having this big power crunch now because of different reasons. And you just uh, alluded to those, which was, you know, short on inventory and then also innovation. So these things mixing has created this frenzy out there for the market. And it is something that we've never seen in that regard. We've seen the craze before and we've seen everybody run to the market and maybe some people didn't have the expertise. We've seen that part before, but we haven't seen the innovation mixed in with the demand of lack of inventory that's really driving it today. Yeah, 100%. When you were with like Merrill Lynch as an advisor, were you investing people on like portfolios, brokerage accounts, or were you like a financial planner or what were you doing? Yeah, great question. So we really was a pretty unique situation. I got an opportunity to work in Merrill Lynch and U.S. Trust in our custom credit division. So Basically, what we do, we take all the people who are already invested in with us in regards of their stocks and options and things of that nature. We would take them and do some really creative uh, financing for them. So really, our shop was designed to, to take on yachts, aircrafts and fine art. So we would take their portfolios of fine art and we would really structure it around whatever their next investment would be. A lot of the times it was real estate, but it's crazy enough. We wouldn't take the real estate as collateral. We would take, you know, some of these, you know, big, nice portfolios of art that they would have and use that to uh, so they could purchase property in Manhattan or Miami or some of these very, very luxurious properties. So really unique shops. So I learned a ton there. Why wouldn't they take real estate? Was that due to the Great Recession, you think? Well, you know, it's a different it's a different world in, in that division. That division is probably the top of the top of the top in the country in regards of uh, wealth. Those people go by a different tune. You know, someone like myself, you know, who, who runs on the consumer laws, you know, we always looking at, hey, what are you buying? What is the collateral? Let's put it up for collateral. And we've got ownership over that deed, that title or what have you. In that world, we're really looking at their net worth. I mean, so much so where we're monitoring these guys on a quarterly basis where we're saying we're doing a what we call a FAR, a financial analysis report, where we're really looking at their risk rating. And if they were to even get married, something simple like marry someone maybe 10 to 15 years younger than they were, it would change their actual rating. 
And that's how we were actually lending them based off of risk tolerance and their net worth and their ability to have capital invested with U.S. Trust or Merrill Lynch. So we really wasn't concerned on the item, more concerned upon the performance of the person. Gotcha. How involved have you been over the years in like commodities or have you tracked oil and the petrodollar or do you primarily now stay in mostly real estate? I live in real estate because that's my livelihood. You know, I stay in real estate now, but one of my best friends is a commodity trader. Uh, he, he actually lives in a, in Indy. And so I keep up with the commodity where I simply because of him, you know, he does uh, a lot of deals with people like, you know, Robert Kraft and all of those guys out there who are really big into the paper mill business. So I try to keep up with what's going on with plastic, paper mill, aluminum, things like that. But um, I'm embedded in real estate on a day-to-day basis. You see, you think now is a good time to get into commodities or because of the supply chain issues? Yeah, I would, I would say this. I, I would tell you that you know, all the experts out there and the guys who are living in and sleeping in and have been doing it for the last decade, these guys have never seen the type of opportunity in the commodity world as they're doing right now. I mean, these guys, if you look at that P&L from last year to now, some of these guys have doubled, you know, just because people, the freight has, has went up, but people are doubling what they still want because of, of the demand and because of some of the lag time. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity out there in commodities, However, I don't. I think it's a really low key business. Not a lot of people know about it. You know, it's really under the radar. Real old school. Real old school business. Not a lot of people are in commodity trading. Therefore, not. It's not like in the forefront. You know, everybody's got some touch of real estate. Like either they're trying or they're looking at HGTV. They want to be an investor. Something. But in commodity world, a lot of people don't even know how it works. So it's really up under the radar and dominated by the old school guys. And uh, the thing that started getting me paying attention was like my love of cars. Did you hear that I got a truck? I didn't. I didn't know you had a truck. I knew you had a Porsche. I didn't know you had a truck. Here's what happened. Let me just tell you the story. It has nothing to do with finance, but people should just enjoy the story. You'll love this story. It snowed here three times. Now, you don't, you don't have to deal with that because you're in California. But here in Nashville, we've been getting snow. It's weird. And I got the Porsche stuck. And I was like, dude. I have two Teslas and a Porsche. So I sold the Porsche and I got a diesel high country. I basically pendulum swung as opposite as you can go. Uh, and when you're here in town next time, you got to hop in the truck and we'll just run over some stuff together. Wow. Crazy, crazy town. I know that people don't even recognize me. Like, who is that? Taylor Walsh? No, he doesn't drive a truck. But what I was going to say is like the, when you look at the price of aluminum, yeah. Aluminum has increased over almost 25% over the last six months. It's $3,100 per metric ton. Right. It's a decade high. And what's that going to do to the automobile and everything is making things more expensive. And it's rippling. Like when commodities go up, it's good for investors, but it's also bad for your lower middle class. Yes. Uh, because everything gets more expensive. It's almost a bit of a hedge. We're talking about inflation, but it's, it's compounded now. Because we have these supply chain issues and the ports are closed and we can't get people, we can't get exports dialed in. Do you feel like that's going to be an issue for real estate? We all, we both know that the the build time of houses is just completely eroded. Like it's taken forever to get these houses done because of the supply chain. Is that on y'all's radar for the next couple of years? Yeah, I think so. Because I think, I think piggybacking on what you're saying and you're, you're tap dancing all over it is in theory, like, 
building property is great. Like the idea helps so many different facets, right? Build a rent, maybe affordable housing, all these things that building in bulk. But here's what Wall Street has to understand and all the high level investors is that people build houses, right? People build houses, materials, permits, and all these things. If these things get backlogged, then it, you're not hitting the performers like you want. It affects the margin. So it creates a monster for the market sometimes. And it really trickles down to the middle class in regards of who's taking on those hits of the cost because they've set the temperament for the demand uh, and then they don't have control over the supply. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a problem, too, if houses get so expensive that nobody can buy them except for, you know, your wealth caps, Blackstones, your different funds. That's right. Um, and I don't I don't know, like. I would imagine we have to go into a deflationary period once they slow down, interest rates go back up. But if we don't, what do you think happens? Do people just rent, rent to, rent to own? Like, have we done any wargaming on that? Nothing. So I think a lot of the investors right now are kind of looking at building rent as being the opportunity because I think that you kind of see that the first time home buyer is kind of drifting away. It's, it's cost so much to get an entry into a, a home in these metropolitan areas like Nashville or Charlotte or Atlanta, some of the places where people want to live, it's so hard to get that that two hundred and fifty thousand dollar house now. Just about everywhere you're starting at about three fifty or four hundred. So that's really taking away a lot of the first time home buyers. They're going to have no other choice but to rent. You know, so I think it's definitely you know a down effect of the inflation along with the hedge funds and the and the black songs of the world really set in the tempo for what things cost. Yeah. What can the government or the Fed do, if anything, to help this situation out? Are there any breaks that can be applied re- regarding inflation and pricing? Yeah, I think they're going to have to come up with some of this. You know, they've always had things that help first time home buyers and, you know, different programs. I think they're going to have to get really creative now because I think they have really rolled out the rates as long as they they can like they're gonna have to make the rates gonna have to go up at some point you know we've 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 rolled it out as long as we can and we've created the inflation bubble so i think that they plan their plan is to you know raise the rates come march which is going to have some type of effect but i think that in retrospective like you just said they'll have to come out with some kind of program to help offset the cost uh, for your middle class and your first time home buyers, it's got to be more than what they offer right now. So I think they'll you'll see the government step in and try to help push the real estate market along, knowing that they're going to have to raise rates. Yeah, definitely. You know, another interesting discussion is taking the BFR concept or the B, the build for rent concept and merging it in with the nightly rentals, the short term rentals. Man, the stuff that I'm seeing on and you're probably you may be seeing the same thing on short-term rental communities. It's phenomenal. Like they're doubling the yield from long-term residential. What do you think about that as like a sweet spot? You know, build for rent specifically, build for rent on STR short-term rentals. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you you can see it right now that all of your margins and all of your cap rate leans towards short-term rentals, which is why our firm is coming out with a program designed specifically for. Airbnb. I think when you when you look at the community, though, when you look at build a rent specifically for that, I think that's the way people want to do it now. I think when people travel, 
and they go to these areas, you know, they go skiing, they go, they go hiking, they go camping, they go to these areas. They want to have a place where they've got a full kitchen, bedrooms. They could even come in with another family. They want to have their own space. Because of the pandemic, uncovered a lot of different things, good and bad. Uh, I think that people have a different outlook on hotels now. They want their amenities and their space. So when you build and rent these communities and they come with, you know, those amenities, got a pool, got jacuzzi, hot tub, those type things. I think that's what people are leaning to now. Yeah, I agree, which is ironic. We're not super early. We're probably at the very beginning, but not su- we're not early. Well, Wealthcast building, um, you know, the commercial side on the short-term rental development out in Branson. We got some in Nashville, but I saw that Blackstone and Starwood just bought the extended stay hotels. I wonder if they're noticing an opportunity because people do want to be in the Airbnbs and therefore there might be a, a devaluing of some of these hotel chains. Did you see that? I forget what the name of uh, Starwood. I think they Starwood. Bought. Yes. Starwood is, is really big into the apartment world. You know, they Starwood yeah. has tons of apartments. So now they're diving into the hotel space and extended stay and maybe taking care of some of these hotels that are, you know, buy them on a penny on, on a dollar because some of these guys really been hurting and really been sucking air. You know, I'm not talking about the most popular hotels out there that's in the dead center of every metropolitan area where everybody's coming, conferences, and, you know, they come have a good time down in Nashville uh, for a concert. But those out, outer bounds of hotels like Extended Stay where you, you kind of, you know, near the airport or maybe out in the outskirts, those guys really hurt during the pandemic. And this probably is an opportunity to come in and maybe build out a different idea than what they were doing uh, prior. Yes, Wood Springs Suites is who uh, Blackstone and Starwood just bought. They bought 111 extended stay hotels under the Wood Suites brand for $1.5 billion. And then a year ago, they bought Extended Stay America, which you just mentioned, for $6 billion. So they're buying them up, just gobbling them up. And it's might maybe it's tied to that COVID kind of slowdown there. Have you ever read the book, Am I Being Too Subtle? I haven't. I have never read that book. Man, I got to send you this book. It's it's about, um, I believe his name is Sam Zell. Yeah, Sam Zell. Sam Zell kind of pioneered the, um, when you know that you go to this, get these plots of lands and people put fifth wheels on them? What do they call those? Uh, plots of land where they put a fifth wheel on them, like an RV park? Like a bunch of fifth wheels. Are, like, yeah, that's, see, I'm, that's perfect. Perfectly said, RV parks. Sam was one of the first investors to get into that. And he's talking about in this book, they ended up negotiating the debt. This is like late 70s, early 80s, because there was a real estate crash. And he went in and he he ended up negotiating the debt so that it was a simple debt transfer, a guarantee of debt service for three years. He picked up six or seven billion dollars of real estate. And guess his his out-of-pocket expense was a dollar. Just from creatively restructuring the debt. How many opportunities are there to do creative debt structuring in today's day and age? Or are we post-2008, we're pretty locked down. It's just like, you put the down payment down, we underwrite you. Do you still see creative debt structures like that today? I do. I think there's creative debt structures out there for people who are looking to allocate capital. You know, those guys who have said, hey, you know what? We, we've tied a lot of real estate into traditional real estate. 
but we're looking for an opportunity to lend money out to something creative that makes sense. I think there's opportunities out there for that. Just like this guy in the seventies, he, he came out and got something really creative, right? Uh, not many people were looking into that, but I think if you surf around and you look at some of the, the debt funds and the guys out there looking to allocate capital, I think if you come with something that's creative and innovative, those guys are interested in that just simply because the cap rate is not what it used to be on traditional real estate. Yeah, it's pretty low right now. And people are paying it because of, I guess, supply and demand. But do you think it's greed or do you think that's just kind of the state of the economy when it's flush with dry powder? You know, what's making people tolerate low cap rates right now? I think that people think that they, just like anybody else, they think it's going to keep going up, right? It's just like if if you were to look at Tesla and you buy it at $1,200, you think, man, it's, it's going to keep going. It's going to $1,500 next week. You know, it's just having a power drive. And then all of a sudden it has a, it, it comes down, comes down to 800 and now it's, you know, it's on the way back up. So it's just like anything else. The market has cycles. And I think people are willing to pay for these tight margins simply to get a body in there and they want to try to, to capitalize on what they think is a nonstop equity push, right? They think it's going to continue to go up $150,000, $200,000 a year. And uh, they're not really, I don't know if people are really calculating what could a minor reset do to the equity push. I don't think it's going to be anything like it was in 2007 or eight, I, because that was a different reason, I think. But it will have a natural cycle just a natural real estate cycle, just like any other time, where it has a slowdown period, a flat line, and then people will be with those small margins. Dude, guess what our uh, cap rate is on our short-term rental development project? Definitely double digits. Almost 11. Yeah. Insane during this brand Brand new development. It's insane. It's crazy. Especially in comparison to what you can get what you're getting on something traditional. I mean, it's, it's so tight. Just like you, you guys know at WealthCap, I mean, when you buy a property, you're really buying at the top of the house, very little margin in regards to even after you upgrade it. You put in the new lipstick on a pig, per se, on the property, then you try to rent it out. Your margin is still is really tight there in regards to your cash flow. Oh, we know. Yeah. Don't we know it? Yeah. This is the thing, especially especially in the markets that we're in. Cause when you look at Charlotte, it's just out of control, man. You know that yeah. it's just like, everybody wants to be there. Yep. There's no such thing as appraisal value anymore. There's no. just not, everything is being bought, no appraisal, no inspection and in, you know, 10 days. And so for us, it's kind of like, you know, if you're a legitimate investor who's investing for cash flow, uh, you can't really make it work because you've got a, you've got somebody wanting to buy it owner occupied. And they don't care because their wife wants the house. That's right. And it doesn't matter if it's 270 ARV, their wife wants it. So they're going to offer 400. And I think people hear these stories and they're like, he's just blowing smoke. But you know, you lived in Charlotte. It's ridiculous right now. It's happening every single day. Yeah. One thing about it too is the value is going way up, but the rent is not. So you got to think about that too. So if you go to the outskirts, you're paying double what you should be paying for the property then you take a look at the market rent and what people are paying in rent. It doesn't match what you had to pay to buy the house. Man, I'm so glad you said that because I've been telling people uh, that for a while. I'm like, man, when when a population is in a growth spurt and it's just like you've got new relocations coming in, the same thing happened with Nashville. 
two years ago, Nashville was the number one one-way destination based on, I think I was U-Haul in the country. The number one destination of one-way trips. It means people are moving here. They're bringing a U-Haul, unloading their stuff in their house, and they're living here. You've got an escalation of prices because of demands, but not everybody in the city is getting 15 18% raises every year. And so, and in some cities, you have actually rent control. And so it just puts you in a, in a really uncomfortable spot as an investor who's used to a certain amount of yield. Now, saying what I'm saying, I think it's a good time to switch gears and talk to you about this. When, when it comes to real estate, not everything is about yield. And one of the things I'm really proud of and excited about is building great properties and investing into great properties so that people can live in great, safe places, raise families in, in safe neighborhoods. I think that there's something we need to do together in the future when it comes to nonprofits in, in that front, and whether it's giving away houses, donating houses. You have a nonprofit, the Gray Foundation. What is that? What do you do? How does it work? Talk, talk to me about that. Yeah, so the Gray Foundation is a um, it's a business entity that some of my friends and I came up with during the civil unrest, I guess maybe two years ago, I guess we, we will say two years ago, when we had a lot of civil unrest in the country, we said, you know, let's find a way where we can establish uh, some unity. You know, so a lot of the guys I play football with, both black and white, we came together and created the Great Foundation. And what it stands for is equality. And what we do is we do professional development with minorities, helping them trying to, you know, segue into careers that maybe uh, they haven't had access to before. So it's been really good. We had our first big launch last year at Gardner Webb University. We took on their football team and we came and did a presentation and we offered out mentorship through several different uh, avenues. Uh, I've been mentoring two guys for about six months now. One guy's background is in journalism and one guy is getting his MBA. These guys are very smart, sharp, very hardworking guys, but there's still a lot of things we pour into them, uh, things that we didn't have and opportunities that we didn't have because we try to tap into our network of people who are willing to help those get in there because we feel like the best route to equality and really setting the stage and, and creating opportunity is to really uh, you know extend a hand and, and show it. Hey, let me show you. Let me show you some of the rules of capitalism. Let me show you financial literacy. Let me get you over in this lane so that we can give you an opportunity or help you earn your opportunity. So that's what it's really been about. It's been a really great ordeal. We have talked to everybody from Merrill Lynch, Wells Fargo, Atrium, all these big businesses about our nonprofit. And they really, really love it. So we've raised uh, quite a bit of money. We've helped a lot of people. We donated uh, several laptop covers to different schools to help those that were having that homeschool from home, some of the uh, you know low-income schools. Uh, so we've been really involved with that, and we've really just kind of extended hands to minority businesses, both women, minorities, and also uh, you know those who have served the country, anybody that's been in the military. So we've been really involved with that. So it's evolving. Uh, it's been a really good thing. It's been a blessing to be a part of. I've really enjoyed it and i've learned a ton doing it so it's it's been it's been a good ride how does somebody like me help with something like that oh man you you're you know you're always so helpful anyway i mean you have a ton of knowledge in so many different facets i think with you guys business traffic and funnel 
uh, be a great opportunity for someone who is interested uh, in in sales or sales marketing or or funneling and those things and try or even entrepreneur. I think you'd be great for someone. And we had several guys who said they'd like to be an entrepreneur. They would like to start their own business. I just talked to a gentleman two days ago with the Gray Foundation who who wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I think that's where you could really pour in and help somebody if it's just a you know, maybe a 30-minute session and speak with them about their ideas because I look at you as a leader in our space and just even in our country. People like yourself are, are the, the driving force to these young entrepreneurs now, showing them that, hey, you know what? You got a good idea. You got good work ethic. You got the want to. We can show you how to be successful. So I think that's where you can really help the nonprofit organization there. Sign me up right now. And also, I think that I could, there's a lot of people like me that would be honored and thrilled to invest into this, both from a time standpoint, because there's always the, uh, there's always the education piece, you know, yeah, I know that you connected with my dad during that period of civil unrest. And one of the, you know, the stories he told, told me is you guys are having a conversation and it was during the middle of all of that. And he just said, are you okay? Yeah. You know, and you were think maybe surprised that he was willing to talk to you about it or go there. And I don't, I don't know everything about it, but there's a lot of people that just want to pretend that nothing ever happens. Right. And, uh, they're almost, they have this weird thing where they just want to pretend that inequality is not a real thing. And you know, there, everyone is, but when you, when you actually become, uh, aware of it, you got to go into education. It all starts with education at the end of the day. And so I think that there's two ways that, you know, for, I'd love to be involved in any way that you have an opening, but like obviously on the education side, the time side, but what about on the funding side? Is this something that you guys have, like, do you capitalize up since so you can make investments, travel or whatever, or are you guys not there yet? Are you pre-funding? Like, what's that look like? Yeah, we do. We, we have raised um, some capital for, uh, and we really try to make sure that we meet as a board and try to allocate the capital to actual events and actual pointing to, you know, different ideas and different things that, that we can help out. But yeah, certainly we have raised capital from all these different people and we've got some really strong commitments from some of those companies that we spoke about that really want to be involved. I think that what, what we learned as a small brand new nonprofit is that a lot of people want to see your track record. They actually have money allocated for your idea and what you're doing, but they want to find out more about what you're doing in regards to action items. So I think that's what we've been really focused on. But I've been very pleased with the amount of money that we've been able to draw in just off of people's interest, because just like you said, there's several people who want to help. There's several people that want to see us, you know, have equality. And there's several people that's willing to, to devote their time and their finances to help us get there. So I think that that's one of the biggest things that I've learned during this process is just how many more people out there are willing to do it than maybe what you see on social media and the media itself is portraying something different. Because when we got out there in the streets and really was telling people what we were doing, it was overwhelming the amount of support we have had from all types of people. I'm talking about old, young, white, black, everybody was like, hey, I want to be for this. I'm, I'm for unity. And I think that's what we miss sometimes as we look at all of the stuff that's going on. We think that we're divided when we're so much more together. hundred percent. So media is the, the way the media has gotten out of hand is crazy. 
and it doesn't tell the whole story. It tells part of the story, though, but not the entire thing. I do think there's also ways that we need to team up in Charlotte on the, the housing projects and just partnering with some of the 501c3s in Charlotte. You know, I had this realization one day as you know, because we, we haven't been buying much lately. We're having to go into like finding secondary tertiary markets just because it's so crazy. We're buying, but we're like retail flips at the, in this market, you know. But when when we were up at our prime, we're buying quite a bit and we're gonna we're gonna be back up there here soon once we find the right markets. I think one of the things that I had a realization is like, man, there's there's a lot that a person can do when they own when they have the money. But we own the houses, which is almost like upstream, you know, money's downstream, where you live is upstream. And so the best way for us to maybe make a difference inside of our lane would be partnering with some of these nonprofits in the area and getting people great places to live, safe places to live, places that they don't, they may not be able to afford the neighborhood, but it's not, don't worry about that. We're going to donate this for a season of time. So I think there's a lot of areas that we can talk about there. Anything that, that I didn't ask you that I should ask you, because I know we're, we're running to the end of our time here, or anything that you want to jam about that hasn't come up yet in topic of discussion. It can be Bitcoin. It can be whatever. No, I think it's good. I think we we covered a, a lot. I, one of the things I enjoy about it is the nonprofit stuff. I enjoy what you guys are doing. We've done several uh, deals together. I'm excited about where WealthCap is heading. I think you guys have really been on the forefront, especially uh, I've seen you guys really outsmart and outdo a lot of people who've had a, a much longer track record. I think you guys are always in front of the curve. And I think that's how you got to be. Real estate is, I tell all my customers, whether they're beginners or they've been doing it for 20 years, real estate is like poker. It, you have to play the hand that's dealt. So you have to be flexible in regards to the way you're going to play. Sometimes you got to bluff it. Sometimes you go all in. It does. It just about depends on what's showing on the board and what you have in your hand. I think a lot of times people get real narrow-sided because they've had some success in one of the facets of real estate, because there's several out there, and I think they stay with it so long. Sometimes they just look back over two or three years and say, what was I thinking? Like the market was telling me the entire time I should switch, but they only had success in one avenue, and they stuck with it too long and kind of caught holding the bag. So you have to be able to play the cards that's dealt to you, whether that's you know single rental, fix and flip, new construction, portfolio, commercial, you know, innovative stuff like the RV park, you know, there's several different ways to look at it. And I think you have to always be on the front end. And I think wealth cap is always on the front end of what's next. What's the next innovative move? Well, man, you're uh, obviously a treasure of a human. You still pack a punch, man. <laughs> After all these years, man, you still pack a punch. So thanks for your time. I can't wait to see you again and get you a real cigar. And uh, we'll just hang out, laugh share stories. Come on down to Nashville. We'll take really good care of you. We'll put you on the jet. You know that. Oh, man, listen, I can't wait. I cannot wait to come down to, to Nashville and check you guys out. If You know, if you ever need anything or, or uh, anything, you always got my number. Call me. I always look forward to seeing you all. You guys are family. Thank you, sir. Likewise. Thanks for your time. <laughs>